Reading today is from 1 Timothy 6, starting with verse number 6, reading through 10. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It's not always easy to do the right thing. Sometimes we are influenced by others, and we have what is known as peer pressure. Everybody wants us to be perhaps just like them. And sometimes we have to make a stand to do what is right. Sometimes we feel that we have the adequate tools to do what is necessary. We have the knowledge. We have the experience. But sometimes we perhaps feel that something better if I had better equipment. Maybe if I had the right kinds of things, then I could do the right kind of job. Or maybe I am perhaps overqualified to do certain things. You often hear job applicants say that they are overqualified for some positions and underqualified for others. And maybe if we have too much of something, we feel that it could be harmful. But when we take a second look, and to contemplate the things that God has given us. After all, to each one has been dealt a measure of faith. We can use what we have in a way that brings glory and honor to God. And by using what we have and to do what is right in the sight of God, we can truly be blessed. Here in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and in verse 6, Paul said vaded clearly that godliness with contentment is great gain. Sometimes we ask ourselves, what exactly is godliness? After all, I can remember my grandmother saying that cleanliness is next to godliness. And that was passed on down to my mother, and my mother perhaps had passed it on down to me. And I've always wondered, what does cleanliness have to do with godliness? But when we begin to understand godliness, first we have to understand who God is. Understanding that he is all-seeing. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. And we must have the utmost respect for him. And understand the position that God is in, and understanding what all God has done for us, he loved us by sending Jesus, his only begotten son, to die on the cross to save us from our sins, we come to realize exactly how we must conduct ourselves in a way that brings that respect to him. And if we live our lives in such a way that brings glory and honor to him, you would see we would also conduct ourselves in a way that is beneficial to ourselves. And therefore, godliness with contentment 
is great gain. Before we take a closer look at what it is that we gain, there is something earlier that Paul compared godliness to. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, backing up to verse 7, earlier Paul profane in old wise fables, and exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. Paul says, just as exercise does the body some good, godliness does a lot more good. It will not only help us physically, but it will help us spiritually. It is one that will help the soul. It helps us in the life that now is, and in the life that is to come. And when we begin to see how beneficial that godliness can be, then we begin to ask ourselves, am I equipped? Do I have the right tools to live a godly life? Well, of course, the answer to that is yes. How do I know so? Because God has given me the things that I need. Peter, in his second epistle, in 2 Peter chapter 1, said there in verse 3 that his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. It is through God that we have all things pertaining to godliness. If we want to know more about those things, we have to know more about God. We have to know more about His Word. And as we read the pages from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we find how God has revealed Himself. We find how God has revealed His will for our lives. We find He has revealed how to conduct ourselves in a way that is pleasing unto him and in a way that helps each and every one of us we find examples of those that did what was pleasing unto god and how they were blessed we find examples of those that did not keep god's commandments but instead served their own selves and how they were punished as a result and if we too can follow the pattern that god has set before us everything would work out for our benefit. God intended. When we look to God and see His intent, His creation, of His love for mankind and sending His only begotten Son, you find that there is only one way in which everything occurred. That is the way according to God. God said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, through Jesus, who was God in the flesh. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes unto the Father but by me. There is only one way to get to God, that is, through the Son. 
And if we go through his son, you can guarantee that we're going the right way, the true way. Truth is often associated with godliness. In Titus chapter 1 and in verse 1, Paul said, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. Truth is in accordance with godliness. If I'm going to live a way that is respectful unto God, a way that I know is pleasing unto God and that will be of great benefit to myself, I can't just live any way that I think I ought to live. I need to live the way that God wants me to live. And I find out how God wants me to live through the studying of his word. I find out what to do. I find out what not to do. I find that there is a right way, that there are many wrong ways. And if I do what is the right way, that is what will have the only benefit in my relationship with God. And how am I to do so? Well, first remember what Peter said. In Second Peter chapter 3, there and in verse 10, Peter reminds us of how the day of the Lord is coming. He said in 2 Peter chapter 3 and in verse 10, that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things, what manner of persons ought to? you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat if we know that the day of the Lord indeed will come there will be no more things here in this earth there will be no more earth we have a motivating factor. If we want to be preparing ourselves for such a time, Peter says, what manner of persons ought you to be? Well, then how are we to conduct ourselves? Notice the two key elements. Not the elements of this world that will be burned up, but he said in holy conduct and in godliness. We must do so wholly and in a godly way. Peter said earlier in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15 that as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, Be holy for I am holy. God is holy. And you may remember that as Moses was beginning to approach him, as God called him from the burning bush, he was told to take off his shoes, for the place where he stood was holy ground. Moses was in the presence 
of God. And if we are to conduct ourselves each and every day, we can imagine ourselves as being in the presence of God, preparing ourselves for that which is to come, to do our things in such a way that will be in praise and glory and honor unto God. How do we do so? But as we continue to grow as a Christian. You know, in order to come to God, one thing we must have is faith. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, that without faith it's impossible to please him, for he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Again, a rewarder, we can have a lot to gain when we do the will of God. But you know, faith by itself is quite often in chapter 2 that faith without works is dead being alone. So we need to add to our faith. And Peter, in Second Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, tells us the things that we must add to our faith. He says, for this all very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. You find that godliness is one of many things to add to our faith. When we're growing in our faith, and we grow in godliness, it helps our relationships with God, ourselves, and each other so much easier. But you know, sometimes it may feel that our relationships with certain individuals do not get easier. Why? Because we're trying to live a godly life in Christ, and they are not. We are trying to set the good example for them. We're perhaps trying to show them the error of their ways, that they may come to the truth and knowledge of Him. Well, Paul told Timothy... In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and in verse 12, that those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Just as we have a warning of the time is going to end, we also have a warning that there are those that are going to persecute us when we strive to live a godly life. Perhaps you see that all throughout our country and even the rest of the world today, when we're trying to stand up for the truth, for what we find in the Word of God. And those are not willing to listen, those that are not willing to accept it. It will be easy to be persecuted. But we have to expect that. We have to expect encouragement, not willing to give up. If we go back to our text in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the verse before that was read, we're warned of those useless wrangling corrupt minds 
and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself. Paul warns that there are those that treat godliness as a means of gain. Those that will say, those that will do things expected by others in order to receive a reward. But you begin to question motives. You begin to wonder, is their heart truly in the things that they're saying and the things that they're doing? You may not know. I may not know. But God certainly knows. He tests our hearts. He wants us to do the right things for the right reasons and to do such in the right way. That's why in verse 11 of 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul then said, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness, fleeing the desire to be rich, fleeing the love of money, fleeing the things that we desire and covet and perhaps want more and more. But rather, we should truly seek godliness for what it truly is, exactly as God described. And so, again, in verse 6 of 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says godliness with contentment. How can we exercise godliness with contentment? Well, did you hear what he said in verse 7? For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Does that remind you perhaps of what Job once said? That naked he came from his mother's womb, and naked he should return. He knew that what we have is just ours to borrow. God has loaned us many things, and we must take care of them because we're only going to have them a little while. Perhaps you remember Adam and Eve as they were told to take care of the Garden of Eden. God had created it, but it was their responsibility, and I don't know about you, but I want to live in a pretty good environment. I want to take care of the things that I have because I know that I'm going to have them for just a little while. Paul was explaining to Timothy that he understands how to be content. In fact, he told the Philippians in chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And if that isn't enough, he similarly told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 11, To the present hour we both hunger 
and thirst. And we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. When you consider the life of the Apostle Paul and the courage that it took proclaiming the gospel in many times and in many areas, you find that he had to undergo quite a lot. He was persecuted in so many ways, and there were times in which he had very, very, very little, if anything at all. Yet there were other times in which brethren encouraged him, supported him, and perhaps he had more than the things that he needed. But he realized that whatever state he was in, he would be content. He could do the work of God wherever he was with whatever he had. And you know the same is true for you and me. Wherever we are, whatever we have, we can do the will of God. The Hebrew writer said in chapter 13 and in verse 5, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Whatever it is that I might have, I can be content. I know that God is going to be with me. And the things that I need, God is going to provide for me. I have all the confidence in Him. Incidentally, if you need a little bit more confidence in God, you may doubt the things of others. God is one you can always rely upon. There is an article in your bulletin today that addresses that very idea. Perhaps you may remember some examples of those that had the things that they needed and realize that there is one that provides these things. Remember David in the 23rd Psalm? How does that begin? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. God would lead him. God would provide for him. He would want nothing that he would need because God is the one that provides for that. Or consider the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 and in verse 11. As he set the model prayer for his disciples and others to follow, he said, Give us this day our daily bread, knowing that what we need each and every day indeed comes from God. It is God that gives us what we need. He has done so every single day, and he will do so as long as we are still upon this earth. Paul recognized that. He gave credit to where credit is due. He told the Philippians in chapter 4 and in verse 19, that my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He said God would supply all your need. He didn't say that he would get all he wanted, but he said that he would get all that he needed. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm glad I don't get all I want. Sometimes there are things that I think I want, 
only to realize later that it would have done more harm than good. It might not have been very beneficial to me, as I once thought, and yet that is the sentiment that Agur had expressed in Proverbs chapter 30. He knew that if he had gotten everything that he wanted, it would not give him the proper attitude. In Proverbs chapter 30, beginning in verse 7, he writes, Two things I request of you, deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you, and say who is the Lord or lest I be poor and steal, and profane the name of my God. He knew the dangers of being caught of desiring to be rich. He knew the dangers of desire to have a little bit more, and a little bit more. Those that are full perhaps would deny God. And God knew there were times throughout the Old Testament that the children of Israel, that they wanted, forgot who it was that gave them to them. Or, he says, I be poor and steal and profane the name of our God. If we don't get everything that we think we want, we begin to look for it somewhere else. And perhaps we use means that God did not intend, means that would cause more harm than good to ourselves, to others, and to God. But godliness with Contentment is great gain. What is it that we have to gain? Well, we've already learned that gain is in this life and also in the life that is to come. Back in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, we have the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. If we do the things that God says, in the way that God says, we have much to gain. Not only will God provide for our needs here in this life, but he's also reserved something that is far greater, something that is eternal, something that will never fade away. He's promised us a home in heaven. He has promised us everlasting life. He has promised us that our sins can all be taken away and we can be therefore reconciled unto God and to be with him forever and ever. Jesus asked this question in Matthew chapter 16 and in verse 26. He asked, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? That doesn't sound like a very good trade to me. You can gain the whole world, but you've really lost it all. Because if you have lost your eternal soul, you've gained nothing. But if you're willing to sacrifice, to do what God calls you to do, you might lose things here but you have so much more to gain in the life to come. 
And remember also the words that Jesus said to a certain rich man that wanted to gather everything to have more room to store his goods. Jesus said to him in Luke chapter 12 and verse 20, God said to him, Fool, this night your soul, then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Our treasure is not here, but it is in heaven. If we truly live a godly life in Christ Jesus, as Christians are to live, we must be content with the things that we have. And remember, being content and living a godly life in Christ Jesus, there is much gain. This morning, are you prepared to gain very much? Are you living the life that God has called you to live? Have you become a child of God? Do you wish to put on Christ in baptism today? You can do so right now as together we stand and sing.